A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to learn about and hear about in this episode? I interviewed Bjorn Smedman, who's an engineering manager at the communications as a service company, Cinch. So some interesting thoughts or takeaways that I had from this conversation. Number one, a good indicator for when you should start to think about decentralizing your data team is the cognitive load of that team. How many systems, especially, you know, a measure of how complex of systems are they managing? How much of their time is spent in meetings, especially trying to understand contexts slash requests? What about if that's, you know, meeting with the same people over and over trying to understand what they actually meant? Is there starting to be that combative prioritization from multiple domains? Number two. It can be very beneficial and scalable to apply data mesh principles to non-analytical use cases, especially sharing data for application purposes. This can still be not on necessarily the operational plane. It can be on a data plane, but that, you know, really thinking about how you share your data, not just for data mesh purposes, you can apply the principles of data mesh to doing that. Number three, it is still often difficult to prioritize creating a data product for machine learning without knowing the business value of that ML model. But the ML team needs the data first before they can figure out the business value of the ML model. That's a chicken and egg scenario. You have to be comfortable with making speculative bets or you really won't be serving yourself for machine learning. And number four, 
if you see the data platform team start to dig into the semantics of use cases, that's a red flag that people are trying to leverage them as that kind of centralized data team. And while you want a centralized data platform team, you probably don't want them to become a centralized data team if you decentralize them in the first place. So I think there's a lot to take away from the story of, of kind of what's happened with Cinch and their hyperscaling. They've gone from you know 500 people to over 4,000 in something like eight months um, as they've made a lot of acquisitions. And so I think it's really helpful to look at how you might be able to take a fresh start to thinking about uh, how you're actually sharing your data and how you can continue to keep the lights on while you're really looking at how you can move towards something like uh, a data mesh or data mesh approach. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for today's episode here. I've got Bjorn Smedman, who is the engineering manager at Cinch. And we were planning to cover kind of a wide ranging thing, but I think this, this conversation is going to be really interesting because of the kind of hyperscale of what's going on at Cinch, where they've gone from you know 500 to 4,000 employees in a quite short time you know, have a pretty uh, aggressive ambition to to be a, a leader in kind of their space. And so they're, they're combining a lot of things that they're doing. So um, I think what we haven't seen a lot from a lot of the conversations as well is how do you keep the lights on relative to what you've been doing? Like what what's going to keep going as you're preparing yourself and as you're kind of setting yourself up and, and heading along the data mesh journey? If you're in a brownfield deployment, if you're not in a place where you can just start from scratch, I think there's there's a lot of really interesting lessons and and um, conversations to have around this. So uh, I think we'll we'll have a, a really fun conversation around that. Um, Bjorn, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Yeah, sure, sure. Thanks, Scott, for having me. Um... I'm uh, I'm an old school uh, engineer, I'd say. I I, I have a, a background in engineering physics, and then uh, uh, I worked in software development, technology development for like twenty years, um, and and done a lot of stuff. I, I started off uh, in the Ericsson sphere, and then. Uh, I ran a consultancy company for a couple of years that consulted towards big tech companies in Sweden. And um, then I ran a startup of my own uh, or, or with a co-founder uh, called Enify. And we architected and developed a, a radio access network technology for 802.11, so the Wi-Fi standard. 
uh, and then interestingly uh, actually licensed it to uh, Ericsson's networks division for a couple <laughs> of million uh, CEC. So that, that's my perhaps uh, strongest claim to fame as, as an engineer. Uh, uh, and if I still exists, but, but it's been a bit of a struggle. So I've uh, uh, moved on into the data uh, domain where I've uh, been head of data and analytics at a company called Min Doctor, which is a uh, primary healthcare provider in, in Sweden, a digital primary healthcare provider. Um, and uh, where, where I worked a lot with uh, uh, like machine learning, AI, data science type work. Um, and I'm, I'm very interested in, in machine learning, AI and, and stuff like that too. Uh, but uh, um, now, uh, most recently, I've been with a, a Swedish company called Cinch, uh, which is uh, uh, a uh, communication, a contender in the communication platform as a service um, space or market. So uh, the, the bread and butter is that Cinch sends a lot of SMS and uh, messages for other companies. So, so we have APIs where you can send uh, SMS messages to to uh, consumers or, or, uh, or receive messages from consumers. Uh, but Cinch, as you mentioned, has, has gone on a buying spree and, and bought a lot of companies. Uh, we raised 2 billion uh, US dollars approximately from, from SoftBank, among others. Uh, and then we bought companies like Pathwire and their product Mailgun. Uh, so, so uh, it's uh, it's been quite a wild ride, and uh, uh, I joined Cinch on first of December as engineering manager for the department called Data and BI Analytics, um, and then uh, uh, yeah, I guess that's where where the discussion starts. I, I don't want to summarize it already now, so uh, I guess that's the, yeah. the background. That's great. And, and I think, um, so let, let's do start with, um, you are in an organization that is um, trying to focus on integrating a lot of new things together. And historically, what has happened in most organizations is data has taken a, a backseat focus, right? People are saying, oh, well, our um, the operational side is what the customers are interacting with, especially in a, you know, kind of software-ish uh, world, which, you know, you're providing a service as a service, right? Um, that the data side has always kind of been secondary to that. So would love to, to understand how you've helped the company or how, how you've maintained that focus on data being a priority when, you know, there's so many things that could be happening on the operational side that, that people could be focusing on. Like, how, how have you worked with people to, to do that? And kind of then we can transition into the idea of, okay, not only are you keeping data um, as a priority, but like, 
how do you start to <laughs> completely change your data culture while keeping the lights on and things? But I think just even yeah. keeping data a priority has been a challenge for a lot of people out there. I, I think uh, it hasn't been a huge challenge for me in that data is so obviously important for Sinch. Um, and it's important for a number of reasons. So one of the systems I became responsible for on 1st of December is a, is a system that keeps track of, uh, of all the uh, messages uh, going through the uh, going through Cinch uh, network and, and uh, essentially all the, the, the messages that our SMS customers uh, send. And uh, uh, in order to uh, you know, provide even the basic functionality that our customers need, like uh, the ability to search for a message in a, in a web portal, or uh, perhaps the even more essential functionality of Singe being able to invoice that customer and, and get paid, uh, uh, the data needs to be handled in a, in a correct manner. And um, since uh, since the uh, data volume is is quite extreme, and and uh, the the revenue that this system keeps track of is is uh, on the order of billions of Swedish crowns every month. Uh, so so it's not hard to to get people to understand that it's important to. To keep track of, of uh, this uh, uh, this data, right, and, and to to uh, uh, meet the uh, sort of data engineering challenges here, uh, because the alternative is that we lose track of of a billion Swedish crowns and uh, and uh, every month, and and that's uh, of course something that would keep people awake. That's about a hundred million US dollars. What about on the, that's to me, um, maybe the, the customer searching side is kind of, again, an operational thing. There is a, an analytical backend to it, but it is kind of the operational interface. And, you know, kind of the other aspect is, is somewhat reporting and it is invoicing and things. But what about the other aspects of analytics, right? There, there's the internal facing analytics where you're the consumer instead of it's part of the, the product. Have, have you found, you know, where people are, are doing machine learning on the data and, and uh, or data science or whatever you want to call it, and that, um, you know, non-reporting analytics has been something that um, people have, have really, you know, put value on? Or is it something where, it's it's still the company's learning how to to kind of move through that. Yeah, I mean, um, one thing there that's, uh, that you mentioned that's interesting is like how what should be the division between like operational data and more, let's say, like data for for analytical purposes or or some other purpose uh, that I I like to call cold data. Uh, so data that is, is no longer being changed, so to speak. Um, like if you take the message, uh, uh, if, if you take as an example, when a customer searches for a message that they've sent, then actually 
the sort of operational data storage is is just on the order of seconds in a system like this. So the operational systems can only keep track of, of um, messages for for uh, on the order of seconds. Uh, anything older than that uh, needs to be handled uh, in a more uh, sort of long-term manner, and uh, uh, and and the reason is really that that the volume is so high that that the cost of of uh, hot storage, so to speak, or or operational storage uh, uh, grows too quickly. Otherwise, um, so um, so uh, the system I'm. I've been responsible for that, that kept track of this data would receive uh, information within just seconds and, and take over responsibility for, for answering these search queries, so to speak, at, at that boundary. Uh, and then was responsible for, for uh, uh, storing the data, making it available for machine learning, for AI, for um, uh, billing, invoicing, um, and also for for uh, uh, business intelligence and and uh, uh, analytics uh, applications, uh, and 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 in some cases storing it for for years uh, because there are uh, a lot of law enforcement um, obligations where where a, a law enforcement agency can can show up years later and and ask to. Uh, to know certain things about a certain message that was was sent, um, so so some metadata is stored for for a very long time, and uh, I guess it's this combination of of like uh, a real time aspect to it that that uh, you need to make data available within seconds, and then uh, you need to make it available for m- very many different use cases. Uh, and you need to store it for a very, very long time. And uh, you also need to, um, any kind of error in the processing or, or, or uh, um, uh, any permanent data loss uh, can be extremely costly, like millions and millions of dollars for every 24 hours of lost data. So I guess it's it's that combination that makes it uh, uh, very challenging, and and uh, uh, also the fact that that uh, SMS is a relatively low margin uh, product line. So so it's not like uh, it's not like when you work in online advertising or something that you can throw money at the problem. Uh, you need to be very very careful with with how we spend money on this. Uh, uh, processing. So, so that, that's what makes it very interesting from a from an engineering perspective. I think that it it's a very constrained problem, so to speak, in in very many dimensions, uh, and and uh, quite challenging uh, engineering wise. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, and you know, one thing that we had talked about um, in in kind of the pre call was that you are while you're you're doing these things that are very very crucial to the company and have very very high <laughs> you know monetary importance that you're also working uh within the organization to transition towards 
um, you know, a data mesh approach and that uh, you, you kind of have to keep the lights on with what you're doing. And uh, but at the same time, while you're keeping those lights on, you are transitioning towards something new. Would love to kind of hear how how you worked through that, because that's a pretty big challenge for a lot of folks. So can you give people any insight into what you've been doing with that as well? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's been uh, been a very dramatic six months here in, in terms of of change and, and uh, reorganization. So when I joined Cinch on 1st of December, I took over a department with uh, 25 people and uh, approximately uh, 4 million US dollars uh, per year in, in cloud spend, uh, compute budget, um, and, and a number of different systems where, where the one I talked about with SMS is just one system. There, there were... Uh, multiple systems, uh, um, actually four different teams. Uh, and then, um, you know, I, I like uh, uh, Simon Sinek. Do you know uh, Simon Sinek, Start With Why? He, is, uh, he became famous with a single uh, TED talk that is, is called Start With Why. And, and the basic idea is very simple that you should always ask yourself, like in any organization or, or uh, part of an organization, you should ask yourself, why do we exist? You know, why is, uh, is it a good idea that we go to work? Uh, so I immediately started asking myself that and, and thinking about like how this department contributed value in Cinch. Um, and, and this was a central data function, so to speak. So a department that did both the, the, the hard data engineering um, type work, but also like uh, understood the data and, and derived value from the data. Um, so it did everything from, from software development in, in like hardcore data engineering applications to um, Tableau reports with, with like analysis of, of uh, um, you know, uh, uh, product, uh, uh, product performance or, or, uh, or economical reporting and so forth. Uh, and I quickly came to the uh, sort of conclusion or, or answer to that question that there wasn't a very good reason for this department to be there in that form uh, because it's very, very hard to, to meet the requirements of a, of a company with 4,000 employees and, 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 you know, with uh, tens and tens and perhaps hundreds of product lines, you know, with, with uh, uh, very, very many different uh, uh, products and, and new companies being acquired, uh, you know, uh, monthly, uh, it, it's very, very hard to to meet that requirement with a central data function, right? So, uh, um, and and from that point, I I uh, I like to innovate. So I'm I'm a, I'm a see myself as an innovative person, both in terms of technology and organization. But I, I like to start with good ideas uh, to, as a starting point and. And uh, data mesh to me was sort of 
the good idea, the starting point here. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's, uh, uh, that's how I, I got into uh, data mesh, so to speak, that, with this realization that, that the central data function at, at that scale does not, it, it's not a good idea to scale that further. I think that, that seems to be the, the sort of limit in my mind that when you, when a central data function reaches like 25 people and, and you need to, uh, you need to deliver uh, on uh, five times as many requests as you currently are, then then it, it's not viable to to keep scaling a central data function essentially. It, yeah, it becomes a uh, bottleneck for everything because you know yeah. uh, there's no. I mean, you know, this is just preaching the the data mesh side, but like. They don't understand the exact queries that are coming in, you know, or some requests. And so, you know, they don't have the domain knowledge to really drive towards really interesting insights. Then you're kind of doing a ticket based system instead of context exchanges and all that. So, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, what I saw in, in like practice, which I guess could be interesting to hear uh, for, for your listeners is uh, like, for example, a lot of meetings where, where engineers uh, were trying to understand new pricing models for new product lines and, and trying to understand data from new product lines and, and uh, more and more uh, meetings with, with the same engineers trying to understand yet more uh, pricing models or, or uh, you know, um, like analytics data and 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 my my general feeling was uh, that we were cognitively overloaded so to speak uh, at already then and that we needed to learn like five times more uh, in terms of like data and, and uh, the the sort of the value that that different product lines saw in data yeah, that cognitive overload, I think it's um, it's really one of the telling signs. Do, do you have an idea of what, what would you think are the telling signs for people that they should start to look at data mesh? Because, I mean, you know, there's people who are at 100 person companies that are saying we should do data mesh because it will unlock our data. And it's like there's easier ways with a centralized team to unlock your data than, than really decentralizing, but at a certain point, the cost of decentralizing is, uh, or the, the benefit of decentralizing is greater than the cost, but there's a cost to decentralizing. So yeah. idea of, of when, what are some signs that you'd look for for that? I think for me, it was very much the sort of the cognitive overload and also the sort of tension within the team uh, of having so very different uh, challenges and, and systems to work on where like some systems were uh, are um, you know very challenging to work on implemented in Java you need to be uh, you need to work on them for a year before you start understanding uh, uh, larger portions of them and so forth and 
and then uh, other teams uh, having it much easier with with like uh, modern tooling, cloud native, uh, uh, data lake infrastructure, uh, which which uh, uh, is a completely different work environment, right? And and uh, so I, I guess those were the uh, and yet more teams were were you know working in say. Uh, working in uh, in Tableau and, and similar, which is like very different from from a, a hardcore data engineering uh, software development uh, workday, right? So, so I guess that tension that that uh, you have like very different competencies and very very different uh, work environments and very very different. Uh, 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 situations, so to speak, and and also uh, and 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 this cognitive overload, so to speak, and also a meeting overload in general. I think that that you know, uh, when you have a central data function, then then it's quite easy to call a lot of people to a meeting and and start talking across all these teams. Right, right. You you like. Psychologically, it's easy to perceive a central data function as one team, uh, and 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 that makes it a bit easier, or like that uh, makes the communication within the team uh, more informal and more more uh, uh, sort of uh, um, ad hoc, and and that's good in some ways, but it doesn't scale right, so. So you want that close collaboration and, and communication, but perhaps within a team of like eight people or 10 people. And, and when you bring it up to 25 people, then, then uh, it's too many people's calendars fill up with, with too many meetings. Uh, it's, it's like one sign, I think. Well, and, and you can kind of start to think of treating the team like you're talking to them like they're an API, right? Where it's like, I, if I talk to, it doesn't matter what machine I'm talking to, what, what person I'm talking to in the department, they should all have all the same context or that you try to go to, I'm going to only talk to this one person and that, you know, there are three domains that are heavy, heavy users of data that are all trying to talk to that same person because it's the person with all the context. And so like both situations just end up in, in kind of a nightmare situation and it, it makes it so that it's it's very non-scaling and, and uh, you know, exchanging context is very, very difficult in the short term. So like you need that longer history and you can't have that with that centralized function. Yeah. And, but I, in all honesty, all these things, uh, I think they are they are good uh, sort of signs that you uh, you need to consider a data mesh uh, uh, organizational model. But but the real sort of uh, uh, the real uh, uh, start signal for me was uh, that Cinch uh, decided to reorganize into business units. So when I joined Cinch, the ambition was that all the companies should sort of be integrated in, uh, all the acquisitions should be integrated in a single uh, big company, so to speak. Uh, but in January or February, uh, the uh, board of directors or, or 
the CEO sent out the press release that that we were reorganizing into business units and that there would be like a central group function and then there would be five different business units that would uh, like um, uh, run run the product lines that that were related in in some way in in one uh, business unit which is implemented as a as a company so to speak a separate company um, and and then it becomes quite obvious that uh, a central data function is is not going to work right uh, these you're gonna it's going to be five different companies they're going to have five different uh, boards of directors and five different uh, I, I don't know if they have boards that they take very seriously but but they will have five different management teams and and five different uh, sort of uh, um, yeah businesses essentially and, and and it becomes very hard I think in in that kind of organization to to stick to a central data function I I don't think that would have been possible uh, collaborative prioritization or um, combative prioritization, right? Where uh, each business unit is trying to say our stuff is more important than the others. And there's really six because you've got the central function, right? Like the central function is the one that's always going to say we're by far the most high priority. And so then, yeah, it just. Yeah, yeah. And like internal invoicing and things like that. Like the whole point of having business units is that you can uh, like, you have a profit and loss statement for each one, right? And and they carry their own cost and so forth. So I mean, I mean, you don't you don't want five separate business units and then a lot of staff in the in the central organization uh, on the group level, so to speak, and and uh, trying to keep track of of which business units have you worked for and, and so forth. I mean. Um, that that goes a little bit against the idea of business units, and and I think uh, in my mind, um, data mesh uh, uh, fits very well with with the organization uh, in a business unit organization, so to speak. If if you are a large enterprise and you have business units, and and you want to still want to share data between business units to some extent, and you want to you want to uh, uh, sort of invest once in in uh, uh, data infra uh, data platform, then then uh, uh, data mesh makes a lot of sense in that in that context. I think. So I think that unlocks up about eight hundred questions that I could go down. But um, <laughs> so let's talk about that. Of you said something in there of if the business units want to share data with each other. Um, if you've already got that culture, it's, it's, uh, a nice to have, or it's, it's kind of a need to have, but it's, it's something where a lot of people are struggling that there isn't, um, a real culture inside their companies around sharing. So was that already there was, you know, did you find that you have to drive a lot of buy-in or how, how have you made it so that they understand that this is valuable? for each other, you know, is it kind of that, that prisoner's dilemma type of thing of like, if we all do this thing, we'll all be better. And yes, you'd be better if you didn't provide any data for everybody else, but everybody provided data for you, but they're not going to do that (laughs) unless you provide data for them. So like, 
how have you kind of worked with that to to get people bought in that this is a good way going forward? I think again, I've been a bit lucky, uh, and that that uh, this has been driven very much uh, from above, right from from the board level and and um, from the uh, senior management team. That uh, one thing that's very interesting with with Cinch and and the way it's now organized is uh, that we have five business units, and and those five business units they uh, sort of encapsulate related products right so there's one for instance that we call business unit applications that that develops uh, uh, or integrates uh, acquired uh, uh, sauce companies uh, and also develops some some uh, some sauce applications of course uh, and then there's uh, another uh, business unit uh, that uh, 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 it's called email uh, and and uh, uh, is essentially the product line that we acquired from when we acquired Pathwire and, and Mailgun. So um, so APIs for sending email essentially, uh, and and then there's uh, one called messaging, which is uh, the the classic old cinch, uh, the the SMS business and and similar messaging technologies. But one thing that's really, really interesting, though, is that two of these business units, they have double names. So uh, when I said that there's one called email, it's not entirely true. The email one is called developer and email. And the messaging one is called enterprise and messaging. And the idea is that Enterprise and messaging, they should also be responsible for the enterprise go-to-market strategy. So they sell towards like huge companies, enterprises, and, and with high-touch sales. And uh, they should be able to sell all the products from the five business units. And the same goes with uh, email or, or which is actually called developer in email, that that business unit has responsibility for the developer go-to-market strategy. So they uh, uh, will be selling towards, they already are since, since Pathwire and Mailgun is very successful at, at selling towards developers, uh, but they will expand on that and, and, and sell all the products of, of Cinch uh, uh, Someday, uh, through through uh, uh, that business unit and and through through the developer go to market, so to speak. But for this to work, uh, of course, uh, uh, you have to share data between all the business units and and all the product lines, uh, so that it becomes possible to uh, invoice an enterprise customer, for instance, uh, and so that it becomes possible to to uh, 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 charge a credit card for for a developer that has used a little bit of email, but also a little bit of SMS and, and maybe some sauce product, if you see what I mean. So so uh, that's what makes Cinch an incredibly interesting company, I think. And, and uh, uh, one of the reasons uh, I'm here is that uh, uh, that makes it incredibly challenging. You know, it, it, it's it's 
a huge challenge just to acquire a lot of companies, right? Uh, and, and to do that in a good way. But it's even more challenging to integrate all of them into a common uh, communication platform as a service and then to sell that platform, so to speak, with two different go-to-market strategies. Um, but since, since that is the, the, the ambition set by, by the owners on the board, it doesn't fall on my shoulders to explain to people that it's important to share data. Everybody, everybody intuitively knows that that's extremely important. And, and, uh, and to the extent I have to explain it, I can, can refer to the, to the CEO. So. But I guess my question is more on the analytical side, right? Because a lot of what you're talking about is doing business it's not for the analytics side right like to be able to do business you need to share that that inf that data back and forth but it's not as much about sharing the information about what's actually happening for analytical purposes right so you know it, it's very much about like billing isn't okay we want to do analysis of billing to be able to figure out what what we should be doing to further our go to market for enterprise or you know oh we're seeing this change in the way that people are interacting with these three developer products and you know one's really really doing well so what what are we doing there and these two are really falling off like you know the analytical aspects of it you know to actually serve your customers that's the the kind of what you're talking about of sharing kind of data between the different systems, but like for analytical purposes, are people bought in that they have to share the data to enable the data science for other domains, right? So the messaging domain, um, you know, has information that the email domain wants, not necessarily to serve them for the, their, you know, day-to-day -day business, but to analyze what's going on. Is that that messaging business, you know, bought in that they should share that that information? Um, I, I would say um, probably no to a large extent, and and in most cases, I think that's also reasonably appropriate. That, like, for instance, there we have one team that works on analyzing, doing like product analytics for, for uh, SaaS applications. And, and they work in, in, in the business unit called applications. And, and uh, their analysis sort of stays in, in applications. And, and the people looking at it, I presume, are, are product managers in, in, in uh, that business unit and, and maybe... Uh, Maybe uh, someday you'll have uh, have the uh, sort of management team of, of that business unit uh, uh, looking at, at that kind of analysis, um, and and um, to me that makes sense that that there are some there's some analysis that that um, actually makes sense to to sort of keep within the business unit, uh, but. Uh, but as long as there is a reason to share data between business units, right? You you need an architecture that supports that, and and so so that's why I think the data mesh architecture 
makes a lot of sense in that context that as soon as you as soon as you have to share even one byte uh, somewhere then then you need the 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 sort of sharing functionality and and when you have the sharing when you when you do implement the sharing functionality you know you need the sort of organizational uh, infrastructure to to support sharing and and i i think uh, the data mesh uh, way of thinking there is very very uh, well thought through and 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 uh, uh, easy to implement or or like it it resonates with me at least that that you have a, a team that is responsible for a sort of a data product and then you share that data product with other teams that further further derive value from it uh, and so forth. Yeah, but there are certainly, I mean, even, even, in, uh, uh, even if some analytics stays within the business unit, there, there certainly is analytics that you want uh, to do on the uh, sort of go-to-market level, right? Uh, um, let's say you have a sales team uh, an enterprise sales team that meets every month with a, a big customer. Uh, then in those sales meetings, you probably want to show uh, uh, some sort of report, right? Uh, like how are the different products de delivering value to that customer? Uh, sometimes you may have like uh, service level agreements, for instance, saying that, um, you know, we, we promise to, to meet certain certain uh, uh, service levels uh, for for different product lines and so forth and then that sales team needs access to to that product data so to speak right in otherwise they can't uh, they can't know if they're they're meeting the sla or or not meeting the sla and so forth so so there certainly are cases where where sharing data is necessary and 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 when it is uh, i i haven't heard anybody uh, I, I haven't heard any any uh, sort of opposing views there. I, I, I don't think there's any. Uh, the the only sort of the only uh, sort of pushback to sharing that that I've come across is is data protection and and that's makes sense, right? You you need uh, you need to comply with with a lot of different uh, regulations and and. Uh, um, um, especially data privacy concerns, um, and and that needs to be taken in, into account when you when you share these uh, data products between teams, right? That if there is personal data there, for instance, then you need to consider what is the purpose you are sharing it for, and and how will it be used by the consuming team, and, and similar. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's. It's just a, a question that's coming up a lot of, um, you know, uh, the data science team wants data, you know, managed in kind of a product type way <laughs> uh, from these different domains. And they're just saying, well, why would I do that? And so I think you're, you are lucky in that your organization understands that, like, you know, even if I'm producing this thing for the sales team, the sales team is part of the organization and it's going to drive forward <laughs> the organization. And so... Um, but it, it's a good point, though, that that uh, machine learning is probably the exception 
here to some extent. Uh, it's good you pointed out that there, there's one thing that's very challenging with sharing uh, data from machine learning, and that is that you need a lot of historical data, right? Before the machine learning team is happy. So, and, and that is a bit of a challenge because if you go out to a business unit and you tell them, oh, it's, it's a good idea to, to store this data on our, in our data platform, uh, because uh, uh, then the uh, machine learning team will one day maybe be able to create some value from that data. Uh, that can be a bit of a hard sell, right? Because yeah, every, everybody's busy. There are opportunity costs and, and also, of course, costs involved in, in any kind of data processing or storage. There will, will always be a cost. Uh, and you sometimes have to do it a bit speculatively, right? With Especially with machine learning, that there, there is nobody on the other side uh, explaining exactly how much money we will make if you store this data. Uh, whereas as that sales team that I talked about earlier, they, they can uh, very quickly deliver some numbers if you ask them, you know, like how much... How much money can we lose or gain if if this data is not made available or is made available? So, so I would say machine learning is probably the exception there, uh, which is an interesting, interesting exception. And that's that's the way a lot of organizations are having for analytics. Is that every domain is saying, well, but why would I, you know, create this thing and manage it? for these other domains if I don't get a, a direct benefit from it myself. So there's just that kind of uh, incentivization and, you know, kind of empathy problems. And like, it, how do you uh, exactly what you even talked about if we don't know what the result is going to be. So um, the consuming team can't necessarily say we'll fund it if they don't know what that is. So then you're, you're kind of stuck and trying to figure out what's the chicken and what's the egg and what, you know, should we fund this or how do we fund this and all that? So um, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a complicated question. My, my challenge has very much been just uh, keeping up with all the demands uh, from various parts of, of, of Singe. So, so I haven't had time to spend a single minute, I think, trying to convince somebody to, uh, like do something or share some data or something. It's it's a constant inflow of different teams that want to set. Uh, you know, there are many di different business units. They want to set up uh, analytics teams. Some business units want to set up set up multiple analytics teams, and and uh, these teams they want to share data and their requests. Uh, coming in, uh, you know, almost weekly. There are new teams and new so-called uh, new data products that, that, that teams want to share with each other and so forth. So, so my, uh, my challenge has been more like, how, how do we stop this, uh, this flood from becoming a tsunami? Uh, or like, how, how do we, we don't want to stop anything, that's the wrong word, but like, how do we manage this incoming flow so that it doesn't become a, a tsunami and and uh, and wipe wipe out the the central data platform well and and 
how do you make it so that people can find the valuable one, right? If there's 15 different reports that all kind of have the same idea or concept, somebody doesn't know which one's the correct one or, you know, and then if people are just kind of turning out, okay, we're, we're turning out data assets and not data products. If it's a data asset, then, you know, it starts to kind of fall apart the second you start to put it together because you're not managing it. And it might be a one-time insight, but somebody wants to consume it in a regular basis. And so it just, it becomes this, uh, this big challenge. Um, but I did, I did want to circle back on, you were talking about, you know, obviously there are a lot of organizational challenges when, when looking at data mesh, but the, the technical and architectural challenges are pretty complex, right? You're, you're integrating when you're creating a platform for these five different business units that have different requirements and that you're bringing in new um, teams onto systems, you know, new systems and things like that because you're acquiring so many different companies. So how have you approached that, that platform aspect of it? And are, are you kind of forcing people onto the new platform? Are you offering it so that, that people will willingly move over and they can continue to support their legacy? Or like, how have you worked through that? And, and how, if you want to talk about how you've kind of helped to architect that platform as well, would be helpful because people are, are struggling to, to architect their platforms. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really like system architecture. I think, I, I think even of data mesh as a kind of a system architecture, right? Um, to me, system architecture and organization are two sides of the same coin, so to speak. Uh, you, you can't have one system architecture and a completely different organization. They, they sort of go together. Uh, there's even a, there's even a, a name for it, Conway's Law. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's, yeah. uh, it's a pretty good uh, uh, law. Uh, I guess, I, I, again, I was a bit lucky. And uh, uh, when I joined uh, on 1st of December, one of the teams, one of the four teams, uh, was called the Data Lake team. And they uh, actually had a, a modern uh, cloud-native uh, data platform uh, using S3 for... for uh, uh, storage and and uh, often parquet as as the format and and a uh, lot of processing jobs in in uh, using spark uh, and uh, also machine learning in tensorflow and so forth uh, so there already was sort of the embryo of a, of a central data platform uh, but it was uh, very, very focused on data lake functionality, uh, so to speak. So essentially the approach I took was to, um, and, and we were, I was lucky in one other respect that when I came in, there was already an ongoing uh, procurement process to, to source uh, Snowflake. So there was already a commercial discussion with Snowflake that was uh, fairly far on the way, which, um, which was ideal, I think, for, for, uh, uh, 
for this uh, use case. So, so good, uh, good technology selection there, and and uh, a lot of the groundwork in in sort of vendor evaluation already done, and and then this uh, uh, data lake. Uh, Modern data lake with with like Terraform and and uh, Kubernetes and and running in its own uh, separate AWS account that we had uh, full control over. Um, so uh, from that starting position, the the natural thing for me was to uh, sort of integrate the Snowflake with with the data lake in a in a lake house architecture to to be able to support both uh, like modern cloud data warehouse workloads and also um, the, the 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 data lake um, workloads that that uh, we already had and and, and we've uh, extended that a bit uh, uh, during these six months too uh, and then um, on top of that, or, or or sort of to to connect the two and to also facilitate ingestion of raw events, which I think is very very important to to make a, a data mesh uh, strategy work. That it needs to be really easy to get uh, huge volumes of raw events into the platform, right? Uh, so on top of those two, uh, I, I uh, coined coined a brand name. I, I like to work with brand names, so so I coined a brand name, uh, uh, Data Highway, as as sort of a, a third uh, component of this platform, which which then uh, contained the data warehouse, uh, a data lake, and and then this data highway, which. Uh, in concrete terms, uh, is Kafka uh, with uh, JSON events, and and we're uh, looking into something called uh, clouds cloud events, uh, which is essentially like a um, a schema for for raw events in JSON format, uh, and uh, and this sort of uh, uh, Holy Trinity, I, I think, is uh, is a very good uh, uh, modern data platform uh, that that you can sort of easily get data in and out of the platform with Kafka, and you can uh, uh, do uh, machine learning and, and uh, uh, Spark processing and, and and stuff like that on a data lake. Uh, in a very cost-efficient manner, and and uh, with with uh, the kind of workflow that that you need for that, uh, and then you can also do like analytics use cases and and billing rating uh, uh, type use cases uh, in uh, in a modern data warehouse like Snowflake. Um, so, how have you seen? Like I don't know how many of the the business units were already using something like this. How have you worked with them to get them comfortable that they want to move to something like you know this platform? Because they're it, it's something that a lot of people are having some challenges with 
uh, around their platform is that people want these 50 different features and, you know, all these different things. So even if you make it easy to serve 70, 80% of the use cases, it's not necessarily uh, serving the ones where the domains really, really care about. And so then they go and build their own things. Yeah. Um, I, I like Henry Ford's approach, you know, like you can have any color you want as, as long as you choose black. So, uh, and, and uh, I guess in this, in this context, uh, it means uh, to me that, that uh, to keep it manageable, uh, uh, I think a central data platform like this needs to have standardized in- interfaces for things, right? And, and, uh, I, as a, as a old school Ericsson engineer, I, I like to stick to open standards for interfaces. So I, I like to see interfaces like Apache Kafka with JSON and cloud spec, cloud events. Uh, and, and, uh, uh, when we go into a modern data warehouse, then I, I like to see that the interface is, uh, you know, ANSI SQL. Uh, and when uh, when you go into uh, a data lake, then I, I like the interface to be uh, Parquet uh, in in S3. I guess S3 is proprietary, but uh, but at least Parquet is open, right? And and a, an open specification. Um, so uh, I, I see I see a central data platform as sort of should provide the Lego bricks. And, and hopefully enough different Lego bricks so that all business units, uh, all the teams and all the business units can, can do what they need in, with reasonable effort. Uh, but, um, I, I don't think you, you have to be a bit careful so that the central, it, uh, so, so that the central data platform team does not become a new central data function, so to speak, uh, uh, servicing uh, the same kind of requests as, as the old uh, central data function did. Um, so so uh, I've been very careful to make sure that, that, for instance, the central data platform team does not become a, a data forensics team or, or a team that needs to understand uh, data in detail, uh, or or uh, needs to implement um, some analysis or some some uh, uh, functionality that requires semantic understanding of the data. To me, that's the the sort of the borderline where, if it requires semantic understanding, then then it should be on a distributed data team that that is closer to to uh, the business and, and, and has uh, a better understanding of the semantics, so to speak. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And that's kind of what a lot of people have said is that, um, you know, it, it's pretty easy for, because even against Conway's law, that centralization, um, it's an easier function for a lot of people to, to say data should be from a service org. So I need a service org instead of inside their own, um, inside their own domain. Uh, what, one question that I'd let, I love to wrap up on is, is what are your thoughts around when people are hiring into these domains? One thing, uh, 
um, especially hiring data people in and, and things like that. One thing that has been uh, a challenge for a lot of organizations is kind of that career growth and career trajectory of, you know, these people in the BUs don't really know how uh, to manage data people <laughs> all that well, or uh, especially manage their careers and make sure that they're not just doing work, that they're also leveling up in their career. So have you started to work on that internally? Or is that something that's kind of, uh, uh, you know, as somebody who's an engineering manager, is that something that you're you're kind of passionate about uh, in, in a lot of your different roles? Or, or is it a problem that you're seeing thus far that, that you know, a data scientist hired into a business unit, it might not be managed by, you know, actual people that understand managing data scientists. I think that's a little more of an issue in, in smaller domains, but would love to kind of hear how you're, you're thinking about that. And are you centralizing the way that people are, are working through their careers? My, I think um, my, my sort of spontaneous answer would be that uh, it that this has improved with with the, the move to data mesh in that uh, as, as I said before in in the central data function you have very very different competences right under under a single manager so uh, I was engineering manager for four different teams and and those span from like hardcore uh, data engineering software development in Java to uh, native uh, cloud native uh, uh, data lake uh, uh, platform to business uh, intelligence analytics and, and Tableau reports and, and everything like that. That's a pretty big span, right? It's hard to be a good manager for. Uh, for all these competencies. Uh, and uh, so I think it makes a lot of sense that, uh, and, and uh, it, for instance, machine learning is a separate team, was a separate team already when I joined. So, so you could say machine learning was sort of the first, uh, uh, first team in, in the data mesh uh, organization. And that happened even before I joined. So, uh, uh, and and I think that that has a lot of advantages, right? Then then you can have then you can have a director of, of machine learning uh, that really un understands machine learning and, and can uh, support the career growth of, of that team in a very good way. And, and then you have uh, uh, someone who's uh, uh, very good at, at uh, business intelligence and uh, and uh, analytics who, who can support the career growth of, of that team uh, so to speak and and the uh, 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 more like hardcore data engineering uh, people uh, they they are perhaps best managed by the people who understand the operational challenges of of, uh, uh, of, of running a, a, a telecom network uh, so close to that product line I I've, I think it, it has a lot of benefits also in that respect that that you sort of 
in a data mesh organization, I, f- I think you get more competent managers, so to speak, for 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 the different teams. But but I, I it is true, as you say, that that there is some sort of general data competence that that you can uh, sort of uh, that can go missing in a in a reorganization like this and I, I think we are seeing a little bit of that where uh, you know there there's um, it's not obvious that that the product every product line should invest in building their own um, sort of uh, uh, data engineering teams for instance where um, so so I would not be surprised if the data platform team in the future has sort of a data task force attached to it, like a, a small consultancy team, so to speak, that goes out into the business units and helps them with very, very challenging uh, data engineering tasks, for instance. Uh, yeah, it, it sounds like, you know, if you think about domain-driven design, that your business units are like a very high, high-level domain and then there's many domains underneath there so it's but it's not as much of a a struggle because there are each business unit is large enough to support having at least you know some of these these functions internally a lot of times it's a domain will be you know uh 15 20 people in total so you stick a data engineer or a data analyst into there and the you know domain owner has no idea how to uh, manage that person and their their career, yeah. career trajectory. So I think um, it sounds like what you're saying or, or what's working is if you can collapse those domains into um, larger domains to kind of spread that workload and, and still have, uh, you know, a central competency within the domain is not, you know, the bottleneck. Like centralization yeah. is a bottleneck when it's a bottleneck. Centralization is not the enemy of of uh you know doing scalable things it's only when it becomes that bottleneck that it is yeah i should be clear that these business units are quite sizable right we bought pathwire for i think 1.9 billion us dollars and they have a very competent data team so so it's not it's not like uh um yeah, there there is a lot of competence in these business units, and and uh, it's uh, it's a challenge to keep up with them, so to speak. It's not uh, it's not so much. Uh, yeah, yeah with, with four thousand employees, yeah, I mean, you know, if you were to split those out, it'd probably be seven hundred per each of the five, and then or maybe seven fifty, and then two fifty left in kind of that core central team that's that's over whatever you know but it's like that's a pretty that's a pretty sizable uh you know business unit or whatever so yeah um so uh yeah so so this has been really great thank you so much for kind of sharing your context and your your story your journey thus far um is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to cover or is there anything that you wanted to kind of wrap up on where you can kind of uh you know any sage advice for for people, well, I think it was a good, uh, good conversation that covered a lot of ground. Um, nothing I can think of spontaneously. No worries. Um, then. 
Yeah, good, good shot. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it too. Um, so if people want to follow up with you, uh, where do you want them following up, you know, LinkedIn or whatever? And, and what would you like them to follow up about? Is there a specific topic or conversation piece that you really want to chat with people about? Yeah, I've already offered to have a, a coffee with anyone, uh, virtual or physical, anyone facing this sort of reorganization challenge going from a central data function to, to data mesh. Uh, and and I can, can repeat that offer in, in, in this channel. I think LinkedIn is, is good for me for, for any sort of professional contact. So... Uh, Please, please do reach out if, if you want to talk data mesh uh, and, and how to, to take the first steps in that direction, so to speak. I, I'm, I'm not the expert yet in, in, uh, in uh, like how you, how you uh, uh, do the whole journey or, or like uh, uh, the, the, end, the stable end result, so to speak. But I'm... I'm uh, I think I can contribute a lot about like um, the the first part of it and and what I see as as the hard part of it of, of like distributing distributing uh, uh, staff uh, systems and budget from a, from a central data function into a distributed data mesh uh, architecture and and organizational model. Awesome. Well, uh, again, thank you so much for your time, Bjorn, and, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Scott. I'd again like to thank my guest, Bjorn Smedman, Engineering Manager at the Communication Platform as a Service Company, Cinch. As per usual, you can find a link to his LinkedIn in the show notes. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest, you know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Mm-hmm.